Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. Best hiring practices for compliance. So we're talking about mitigating risk to limit your hiring liability. If your company is beginning to hire, you need to understand how to navigate the waters to avoid very costly mistakes. My name is Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our purpose is to provide solutions to solve the most difficult hiring challenges to secure the best talent to ensure your company's success. Our guest today is Usama Kaf, attorney with Fisher Phillips with a specialization in employment law. A little background on Usama. He is a attorney at the Irvine office of Fisher Phillips where he practices employment law, focuses on litigation prevention and compliance. He has a passion for educating business owners and HR directors on how to minimize risk and comply with complicated employment law been selected by Super Lawyers Magazine as a Southern California rising star each year since 2013, and we are really happy to have him on the show. Usama, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. All right. So we got a lot to cover today, so I want to just kind of dig in. The biggest legal challenges that companies have in hiring today? That is a very loaded question, and there are a lot of different answers, but I'm just going to focus on two. Okay. I think uh, one of the things that people have the most trouble with that I hear a lot of stories about is when employees don't really disclose the truth during the hiring process. Okay. They're hiding uh, things from you. They're holding back. And you don't really find out until it's too late. And then you're stuck with a lawsuit or a person that you really can't fire because if you do, there's going to be a lawsuit. Got it. And then the second one that we can spend a lot of time on is when people bring along trade secrets of their former employer, they don't tell you. And all of a sudden, you're on the hook for everything they stole uh, and are now using for your benefit as the new employer. So let's delve into the non-disclosure piece, because that's a big thing that I would imagine probably one of your biggest caseloads, right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's the counseling that I do on a daily basis. It's, okay. uh, it's uh, this, this is, you know, all the, the, the stories come up in, in the context of questions from hiring managers and uh, HR directors about what do we do with this situation? How do we make sure that uh, we're finding out about employee disabilities or issues without asking illegal questions at the, uh, at the outset to make sure that they're able to comply with their legal obligations? What are those top issues? So one of the things that I hear a lot, a lot from employers is, can we hold someone accountable for not telling us that they have disabilities yeah. up front. And the answer is always no. The law protects people with disabilities. Uh, the law requires that you provide reasonable accommodations sure. uh, to the extent possible and to the extent you can, unless if it imposes an undue business hardship, you have to provide a reasonable accommodation to anyone with disability. So I understand the frustration when hiring managers and managers, you know, especially people who are not in HR. Yeah suddenly discover that an employee has a disability that limits their ability to do some part of their job that they just didn't disclose at the outset. And if they had disclosed at the outset, maybe the employer could have set them up for success from the beginning and uh, accommodated them at the beginning. But then again, maybe they would have discriminated against them and not hire them in the first place. And then you also have a problem on your hand. But doesn't that uh, open up the door then for fraud? 
Um, yeah, and certainly. I, yeah. I mean, not so much in the sense of people making up disabilities. Sure. I, th- I find it hard to believe that people make up disabilities, uh, you know, except in the workers' comp area where you always hear the stories about private investigator following the employee around and finding them lifting things and doing all sorts of physical activities when, oh, yeah. when their injury is supposed to be a back injury and they're supposed to be unable to do anything physical or anything like that. Sure. Uh, but outside of that context, I don't really see that much of a risk of fraud by employees with respect to disabilities well, or anything that, along those lines. That's good to know, at least. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then when does the actual disability come into place? Is is it usually that something that's done on a job or is it? It's a condition that limits your ability to perform an essential function of the job. It could be any, any topic condition, whether it's physical, mental, anything that hinders your ability to perform a major life activity like sure. walking, talking, lifting, things along those lines. One of the most common ones that I see in hiring is when people do not have the ability to drive or have some sort of physical limitation on their ability to drive and have adequate transportation. Hmm. So one of the things that I focus on in making sure that my clients and hiring managers are not asking illegal questions, get them into hot waters, is to focus on qualifications for the job. Focus on the activities that the individual has to perform in order to be successful at their job. Sure. Right? So focus on the essential function and then ask them, this job is going to require you to to do A, B, and C. Let's start with A. Can you do A? Uh, Is there anything that that would limit your ability to to perform A? Um, And and actually, I want to delve into this the second part of the show. That's where we're going to get into the the deep dive on this. Where does the disclosure then come into place? They don't let them know that they actually have a disability before they interview or during the process? Right. The law does not require employees to actually disclose anything to you sure. at the hiring process, right? Okay. So, and it's also illegal for you to ask, hey, by the way, you have a disability. Oh, I saw you walking in a crutch. So, you know, what's going on? What happened, right? Do you have the ability to ask your forklift operator, do you have the ability to drive this forklift? Absolutely. Right? And that's what I was saying okay. earlier is you focus on the actual essential functions of the job. and you ask them whether they're able to perform that particular function, if there's something that's limiting their ability to perform that. So then what would be the next piece that you see, the second piece of non-disclosure? It's uh, when employees don't disclose that they have a physical disability and then all of a sudden you hire them. Yeah. And now they have a physical disability and now they have some some issue that limits their ability to, to perform some part of the job. Yeah. A very common one is, like I said, the ability to drive. They have some sort of physical condition that, you know, the doctor said you can't drive for X number of hours or you can't drive for longer than, you know, this, this and that. They live an hour away and their commute is an hour every morning. And so they tell you, well, can I work from home? And you didn't know about that in advance. And now all of a sudden you're stuck with an employee who has disclosed to you after you've hired them that they have a disability. And now you have an obligation to uh, engage in that interactive process with them, talk to them, find out what you can do to help them become successful at the job. Is it the kind of job that can be performed remotely for a short period of time? If yes, then maybe you have to let them work remotely. Are you obligated to pay for for them to to have an Uber or or Lyft or some car service take them to work every morning? Generally, the answer is no. The law is not going to require you to do that kind of thing. Absolutely. So um, you're going to have to deal with those issues once you learn from the employee after you've hired them that they have a disability. Got it. If you learn from them during the hiring process and you don't hire them, then you have a potential lawsuit. Unless if you really can prove with objective evidence that you hired someone else who is more qualified and you can prove they're more qualified than them. So then the burden of proof shifts over to you. 
I mean, the burden can really depend on the, you know, the the what state law they're they're filing their claim under, whether it's under federal law or not. But generally, the employee is going to have the initial burden of showing that on its face it's a discriminatory decision. Got it. And then the burden shifts to you to sh- exactly as the employer to show that well, you really had someone else who was way more qualified, and you didn't fail to hire them because of the particular disability. Got it. Okay. Then the second piece would be the trade secrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's also a really fun area that I practice uh, yeah. in. Very often, people come over to a new job and they take with them intellectual property that they had created or maintained or compiled at their last job. Seen that one. You know, I don't know <laughs> if it's a generational thing or I, I don't want to blame any particular generation, but I, I see a sense of entitlement in a lot of people where people feel ownership and they have a kind of a, an ill-conceived notion of what is it that I own as a person. Yeah, They don't know, or may, maybe they do and they just don't care, that the law, at least in California, especially if you have an agreement contract with the employee, will make anything you create, anything you come across, any document that you come across in the context of your employment belongs to your employer. It doesn't belong to you. It, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if you create it. It doesn't matter if it's your work product. It belongs to the employer. You're being paid to actually create that. Right. So employees feel like, well, that's my work product. You know, I, I feel there's like some pride of ownership in it. Mm-hmm. So they take it. Sometimes uh, they really don't do anything with it. But other times they bring it over with them to their new employer and they start using it to the benefit of their new employer. For yeah. example, they, they may even use it for benign purposes such as as a template to improve the processes and the uh you know, the methods, uh, the internal methods and the forms of the new company, right? Got it. So that just happened with Google and Uber, right? Where uh, one of the people from Google Drive left and went to Uber and there was a lawsuit about that. Right, right. There, yeah. there, There is an allegation. Yeah, there is definitely a claim about that out there. But yeah, it's when, when empl- employees bring over these confidential internal documents and they start using them, whether it's to solicit clients, to solicit customers, maybe they, they are just unfairly competing. They steal the price list or the cost list and they know exactly how much each customer is being charged. And they go to that customer and they say, you know what? I'm going to give you one penny less than what the other company is giving you. And the only way you know that is because you had access to that inside information. Jeez. So in the hiring process, one of the worst things that I see get missed is when people don't ask about that. Yeah. When you don't vet the person properly to know that, to trust fully and to know that they're not bringing over the work product of their last employer. They're not bringing in a customer list, client list, a price list, anything that belongs to their former employer. Because once they come over and once they bring those documents into the fold of their new employer, you may be on the hook. If the other company finds out, if the other company's damaged, if they start losing business and they trace it back to this person, downloaded the customer list on their last day of work, they're going to try to go after the company, not just the individual. That's terrible. Yeah, and that can be prevented at the hiring process. I'd want to make sure, I mean, we could talk about solutions, but if you don't address that at the hiring process, you can really end up on the hook for a lot of trouble. Got it. Now, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Usama Koff, employment attorney for Fisher Phillips. And we've been talking about litigation challenges that companies face when hiring employees. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to mitigate these risks. You're listening to Hire Power with Rick Gerard, giving you access to recruiting techniques that will help you hire key talent to build your company towards real success. Rick is a recruiting executive and entrepreneur who's been successfully recruiting in the aggressive Silicon Valley technology landscape for the past two decades. After a very successful stint at Apogee, he founded Stride Search in 2012. Based on a lean efficiency model, Stride has uniquely positioned itself as a leader in retained search for the most critical talent hires within a small organization. 
Whether you're a startup executive or recruiting professional, by listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard, you will walk away with skills to help you attract and hire great talent. Now back to Higher Power with Rick Gerard. And welcome back to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and we're talking to Sama Koff, employment attorney for Fisher Phillips. Now, before the break, we were discussing some of the biggest legal challenges companies face today in hiring. And now for the fun stuff, we're going to help our audience reduce the risk a little bit. Now that we understand kind of some of the two key issues, um, what can companies do to limit their liability? One of the things that you can focus on is to uh, prepare in advance of your hiring, uh, your, your interviewing, questions that are focused on the job itself. So you can identify what is it that the individual is going to be performing, is going to be doing on the job, and then uh, divide that up into the different skills and the different types of activities, and then ask questions specifically about what qualifies them to perform each task and each activity, and whether there's anything that would limit their ability to do that. So, for example, one of the very basic questions and people think, well, gee, that should be assumed and you should never make assumptions in this process. But one of the most important questions you want to ask is, especially if it's the kind of job that entails coming into an office or uh, some sort of workspace instead of working remotely or out in the field, do you have adequate transportation to be able to come to work? You'd be surprised how many people don't ask that. And then all of a sudden, they hire somebody and then they, they you know, oh, here's they a doctor. They just figure he got here. He might as well exactly. figure out how to here's get here. Here's a doctor's note. I can't come to work because uh, I can't drive. What do you do at that point, right? Yeah. You know, well, you can't fire him right away. you got to engage in some interactive process. Sure. So that's one, one specific example of a question you can ask. Now, the job description itself, right, can be a bit of a liability. Yeah, yeah. So... Let, let's talk about the way you word the job description, because, you know, if you break down, like you said, what needs to be accomplished in the job, it seems to me that the wish list, which is the five years of this, four years of that, this sort of degree, that sort of degree, would be more of a liability in that case than it would be an asset. I agree. And I think it would be a liability because people who don't get hired are going to think, well, I'm qualified because I satisfied all of those uh, points, right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, and, right. and if I if I met all of those like what you could say the wish list, yeah, and they don't hire me, it must be because I'm blank, you know, whatever the blank is. I'm I'm in this protected category, yeah, uh, and uh, you know I'm so I'm so good, I can't believe they even uh, you know wanted to interview me or hire me. When <laughs> Never I, mind that I'm not a cultural fit or I've got nothing else to back it by, but exactly. So that wish list, that's something that could be used in court against you? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen that happen where people would say, you know, well, I'm more than qualified for this particular job. So why did I not get this particular job? Right. Yeah. Uh, when there's a lot of a lot more consideration, like the cultural aspect, the organizational fit, a lot of different uh, issues. So the job description is really where it starts, exactly like you said, yeah. because that's what people see before they even apply. Right. It's the job posting. It describes what the job is going to be. That's where I think hiring managers should begin to set the expectations with a focus on what is it that this job entails and what sort of activities is the job going to involve. So then the interview process itself, what can you ask, what can't you ask? Oh, that's there's a long list of questions, right? <laughs> but there's actually a lot more than you can ask. I mean, employers, well, uh, employers shouldn't feel like they're really constrained and constricted. Well, uh, maybe what can you ask that can unearth some of this these hidden gems, so to speak. Well, I mean, one of the ways you can uncover some of those issues is by focus, like I said, asking whether there's anything that limits their ability to perform 
this task, that task, and go down the list yeah. of here are the tasks that are required in the job and you're able to perform these activities, right? Because yeah. uh, uh, if they lie to you at that point, then you may have cause to fire them when later you find out that they actually lied to you, right? Now, does that have to be fully documented when you're asking those questions? I mean... No, not necessarily. Okay. Not okay. necessarily, no. I mean, you take good notes, you yeah. know, um, yeah. uh, during the interview process, but not too much because sometimes, uh, you know, a little bit too much detail <laughs> might uh, might be used against you. Yeah. You know, for example, you don't want to be taking notes and say, oh, I noticed that this person, uh, you know, uh, I wonder how far along they are. Or I noticed they walked in with a crutch. And you made that observation. You, if you take notes with those kinds of observations, I think they can be used against you because they show that you're thinking about that particular physical limitation. Got it. Uh, and the more you're thinking about it, and then you make a decision not to interview or take the next step with that candidate. So the notes you, you know. take should be about the conversation you have. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no side notes, people. Yeah. All right. So then what else needs to be done from an interview perspective? So there's a lot of questions that are illegal, but you can get the same information by switching the question around. So for example, in a lot of job applications, you have the question, are you able to legally uh, work in the United States, right? Yes. You have legal authorization, yeah. right? So obviously it's illegal to, to straight up say, ask somebody, are you a citizen? Where are you from? Yeah. You can't ask those type of questions, but you flip that around and focus on the real issue that's required for the job with the qualification, which is, do you have authorization to to work in the United States legally. So what's your right. work authorization is okay. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly, okay. exactly. Okay. And those can be covered in, in the job application. Sure. You know, other types of issues can always just flip the question around instead of asking whether someone has a disability or has family or has kids or has any health issues. You flip it to ask to focus more on flexibility and scheduling, availability for the job, the ability to come to work on a regular basis. The biggest example that comes up is when people, everyone has families, right? People oh, have yeah, families. Absolutely. They need to to make sure that their uh, uh, job is going to accommodate their scheduling and their ability to drop their kids off at work. So you tell them, well, this job is an 8 a.m. to you know 5 p.m. type job. Are you able to get there on time? Do you have the ability to arrive on time? Sure. Uh, or if it's a job that's going to be uh, you know after hours, it's going to involve uh, you know later hours. You ask them, well, do you have flexibility to work nights and weekends? Instead of asking them the illegal question of do you have the ability to find childcare? How's ah, the babysitting okay. situation going? Got right? it. You know, focus focusing on uh, questions that identify that there's an issue. Uh, yeah, that they're yeah. they're in a protected category of having you know having kids or, or being married or whatever you know category they belong in. Got it. You know, one of the other things I was thinking too is that the traditional job description, right, and how you interview. I think it's more important to make your decisions or even advertise that you make your decisions based on maybe cultural fit or or values fit and even accomplishments or impact that you've made in your current or former employers. Mm -hmm. If you advertise that you make your decisions based on those, does that mitigate the risk a little bit? Yeah, that's actually a good way to focus on that. The one thing that I would caution people, though, from is depends on the, on the cultural fit. I don't want to denigrate a particular company, but every time I'm walking through the mall in front of Abercrombie and Fitch, the cultural <laughs> fit means I will never fit there as a, you know, sure. you know what I'm saying? So it means you're looking single, young, good looking white people. Basically, yeah. And I right? can't make it past this. I don't want to stereotype, but that's really, that's my perception sure. right? as an Arab American. That's what I kind of feel like I'm already alienated. If, if the focus is too much on the cultural, whatever yeah. it is that is yeah. cultural fit, but uh, you know, certainly that should be taken into consideration though. Uh, so maybe, maybe values, maybe the yeah. core values of the company. Right. Work ethic. Yeah. yeah. Well, our engineer, Paul, really hates the word culture, so I try to drop it as much as possible just to get under his skin. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, reference checks. I know there's a lot of legalities in and around 
reference checks, but a lot of companies just don't do them. Can, you can unearth a lot by picking up the phone and calling the person's uh, uh, boss or former boss and say, hey, what do you think? I mean, is there... And, and, and it should be done. It should be done, right? Yeah. And a lot of people would disclose some information to you. There are, of course, a lot of companies out there that have a policy of not giving out any information other than, you know, the basics, you know, dates of employment, uh, salary rate, sure. etc. But for the most part, when a manager, when a company gets a call from a prospective employer of one of their employees or a former employee, they have some, some level of a privilege to be able to communicate truthful, factual information yeah. about how the person was at their job, right? Yeah. For example, you know, hey, they were written up three times for a blank, whatever it is. Yeah. That's a fact, right? It's not, not necessarily an opinion, and people can give that out. Now, um, how are okay our backdoor references? People that they didn't provide to you, but maybe you have a connection of a connection to. Uh, that's totally fine. I mean, that's that's, that's vetting, complete vetting of the person Perfect. would entail th that kind of diligence if, uh, if uh, you know, you have the resources and the, the ability to do it. Now, of course, uh, the risk there is the more you know, the more likely it is that you may come across information that would limit your ability to make decisions. For example, if you do a social media check and all of a sudden this person has a public social media account and they list on there that they are of this religion and they have this sexual orientation and they list other activities, sure. and now all of a sudden you're on notice and know that they belong in these, uh, these protected categories, so you better be careful about making sure that when you decide whether to hire them or not or whether to interview them or not, you have a good objectively verifiable reason for doing so. Wow. <laughs> That's just a lot of work. All right. So we're almost out of time for today's show. Usama, thanks again for your time investment today. It was great to have you on. And, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio community. Uh, now, what would be the best way for members of our community to reach you if they need your services? Sure. So I can be, uh, uh, my information is on the website of my firm, uh, fisherphillips.com. Uh, you can search for me. My last name is uh, K-A-H-F, Koff. You can also call me directly. Uh, should I give them the phone number? Absolutely. All sure. right. It's 949-798-2118. That's my direct number. Excellent. And your email address would be? Ukoff at fisherphillips.com. Excellent. Ukoff is U-K-A-H-F, as in Frank, uh, at fisherphillips.com. And we'll have a link to this on our uh, podcast as well. So I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producers, Andrea Ballin, Haley Stern, Shanti Ryle, and our executive producer, Kim Iverson. Now, to listen to this show or any of our past episodes, you can reach us or find us on Hire, H-I-R-E, PowerRadio.com, or the Higher Power Radio show on iTunes and Google Play. And for the latest insights on the show, check us out on Twitter or Facebook. Tune in next week as our guest will be John Shower, the founder and CEO of Inc. Digital Technologies. And for today, I'm your host, Rick Girard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Girard on OC Talk Radio. 